Our text today is Luke chapter number 14. As we think about a sermon for mom today. I've been standing behind this pulpit for 34 years, which means I've preached about 1,700 sermons. And if you count Sunday school lessons and Tuesday night Bible studies, the number goes up over 5,000. The point being, there's nothing I haven't said sometime, somewhere before. <laughs> when I look at a calendar, I think, what will I preach on Christmas? What will I say on Good Friday? What topic will I discuss on Easter? Or what would make a good Thanksgiving sermon? And when I come to Mother's Day, it's a whole nother story. And I know I have told this story before, but it still makes me stop and wonder. I was about eight years old, and it was Mother's Day, and my family, we were driving home after church. My sister and my brother were in the back seat, and I was in the middle in the back. Mom and Dad were in the front. And Mom was complaining, which wasn't normal at all for Mom to complain. So we were listening carefully. And she was saying how she didn't like the Mother's Day sermon because it was too soapy. Well, what she meant by soapy was, it's like a soap opera. You may remember the old TV shows, well, As the World Turns, or I've heard it called As the Stomach Turns, uh, The Guiding Light. My Uncle Ed used to call them sob sister stories. That is to say, romantically unrealistic. And Mom was saying how she didn't like Mother's Day sermons that portrayed mothers in an unrealistic light. And then all at once... She turned around and looked at me, and she said, if you ever get the chance, you preach a good sermon on Mother's Day. Which still baffles me why she turned around and said that to me when I was eight years old. Now it's been 34 years that I've had the chance to preach on Mother's Day. And of all the people who were in that car on that Mother's Day 60 years ago, I'm the sole survivor. All the others have gone to heaven. And sometimes I wonder if the people in heaven get a chance to look down on us to see what we're doing. I don't know the answer to that. But I had something happen once that made me wonder. <clears throat> the year Mom died... It was my first Christmas without her, and I decided to go to the cemetery, and I stood by her grave, and I said, Mom, I don't know if you can hear me, but if you can, Merry Christmas. And I was there a couple minutes, and I got in my van, and I came back here to the church, and I parked right at the end of the sidewalk out there, and I came in to get something. And I got what I needed, and I was going just down the hall there towards the door. I looked out and on top of my van was a pure white dove with red eyes. And I stopped and I looked at the dove for a few moments. And then the dove flew over to the windowsill there and 
landed on the windowsill and looked in the window at me. And I stared at the bird. And then it flew back over on top of my van, stayed there, and then it flew away. For several weeks, I watched all the local pigeons and all the flocks of birds looking for a white dove, but I never saw it again. But I did wonder if my Merry Christmas message to Mom was delivered, and maybe she sent a message back, same to you. So I don't know if any of those people are watching this morning. But I still distinctly remember those words. If you ever get the chance, make sure you preach a good sermon on Mother's Day. And those words have caused me to do a great deal of soul searching every Mother's Day. We've been studying the life of Jesus since December from the Gospel of Luke. And... In keeping with the theme, I've decided to preach from Luke chapter number 14. And I have chosen the most outrageous passage for Mother's Day. Nowhere else will you hear a Mother's Day sermon from the passage that we're going to talk about on this Mother's Day. Nobody would do it. So let's begin, Mom. Here we go, if you can hear Luke chapter 14, I begin at verse number 25. And there went a great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Why? Oh, why did Jesus ever say something like that? What was he thinking? And why, oh, why, Eric, did you ever choose that for your Mother's Day text? You're probably thinking the poor fellow finally flipped his lid up there. <laughs> so on this Mother's Day, let's try to figure out why Jesus said, unless you hate your father and mother and your sister and brother, you cannot be my disciple. So we start like we always start when we want to understand and do the background what was going on when Jesus decided to say these shocking words? Jesus, as he preached his way across Galilee, became more and more popular, and crowds began to follow him wherever he went. And no wonder, when Jesus came to a town, he'd often heal all the sick people in the whole town. When Jesus got in a boat and sailed along the shore, Crowds of people ran alongside the boat, following it, running along the shore. He stopped to preach out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, and 5,000 people came to hear him. And when he told the disciples to feed the crowd, they said, we can't feed all these people. And Jesus asked, well, what do you have? And they said, we got a boy's lunch. There's five little dinner rolls and two dried fish. So Jesus 
fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes with 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And the people in that crowd said, we will take Jesus and force him to be our king. When he gives us a free lunch, he gets our vote. <laughs> Some things never change, do they? <laughs> and then, he's so fascinating to listen to. He's so exciting to watch. And people followed him just for the entertainment of it all. Some want to be healed. Some want to watch somebody be healed. Some want a free lunch. And some are just following the excitement. There's a lot of reason these large crowds are following Jesus. But they are somewhat superficial. So Jesus decides he will explain to this huge crowd that's following him what it means to really be a true follower of Jesus. And like he often does, he uses a story to help people to understand. Verse number 28 now in Luke 14, verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, that all behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So, Jesus explains, here's what it's like to be a follower, a true follower of Jesus. It's like building a tower, not a shed, not a house, not a barn. He says it's like building a tower, something very big and very tall, something that stands out, something that people will notice. Its purpose is to draw the attention of people for miles around. That's why you build a tower. You see, my friends, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must set an example for all to see. You're doing something so that people will look at you and say, look at that. Following Jesus is very impressive. But Jesus says, remember though, it'll cost you something to build a tower. And a person needs to consider what it will cost you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you thoughtlessly start to build and then realize, I can't finish the tower, people, <laughs> look at that fella. You got half a tower, an empty foundation. There's a fella who couldn't finish what he started. And my friends, if you start to follow Jesus and you quit halfway along, your life becomes a good reason for people not to follow Jesus. So to those people who are looking for entertainment and a free lunch or something for themselves, Jesus said, it's going to cost you something to be a true disciple. Have you counted the cost? 
Can you finish the job? Then Jesus tells another story. He likes to tell good stories. Verse 31. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulted whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, well, there is other yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Once again, Jesus said, you've got to think about it ahead of time. If you're going into a battle, and you're at a serious disadvantage that is outnumbered two to one, and before the battle begins... Go make peace. Now what does Jesus mean by that little story? He says, you have a choice to make. I want you to make a choice, he says. You're going to follow Jesus, or you're going to resist him. One or the other. Now if you're strong enough to resist, are you? Can you stand up to Jesus and say, no, I don't want to. Jesus says a wise man recognizes great power and he surrenders to it. Again, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus I want to make peace with you. Jesus, I give up my plans for yours. And Jesus, I give up my way for your way. I give up my life for you to use the way that you see fit. So now, let's go back to that bomb we dropped first. Back to that verse number 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister and yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What did Jesus mean when he said, if you don't hate father, mother, brother, sister, wife, and children, you cannot be my disciple? Clearly, Jesus is not telling us to hate people. Quite the opposite. Jesus said it over and over and over again. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. It's a Bible theme through the whole Bible. Honor your mother and your father. Husbands, love your wives. And these remains as the Bible, faith, hope, and love. What? But the greatest of these is love. Love is described in the Bible as the more excellent way. And Paul says, without love, I'm nothing. So obviously Jesus doesn't want us to go around hating people. So what does he mean then? What's he trying to say? This 
large crowd that Jesus is addressing. There are people who haven't thought it out. They haven't considered what it will cost them to be a follower of Jesus. One of the most powerful forces in life is family. Your personality, the way you think, the way you behave, your value system, your habits, your lifestyle, these come to you from your family. Like it or not, when I was a young fella, I used to say, I am not going to be like my father. <laughs> Once in a while at home, I do something around the house. My wife tells me, that was a very oaty thing you just did. <laughs> they called my father Odie. And she calls me Odie when I act like him. You can't help it. Family is a powerful force. And Jesus says to this crowd, do you want to follow me? What if your family says, look now, we have family traditions. Our family behaves a certain way. And you're straying from the fold when you go do this Jesus thing. And Jesus said, what if your family refuses to let you go? And they fill you up with guilt. And mom says, don't abandon me. Don't leave me. Can you stand up and say, sorry, mom, I'm going to follow Jesus. Sorry, dad. I'm not going to be like you. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, that may be a very hard thing for you to do. It could cost you your family. Some of us were blessed with parents who believe, but not everybody. Jesus says, count the cost. Before you decide, remember... Your life is to be a tower outstanding for Jesus. My friends, it's about the relationships. My mom taught me manners. She tamed my misbehavior sometimes with a wooden spoon. (laughs) She guided me. She controlled my tongue. She was very good at showing me when I was being foolish. And she said to me one Mother's Day in the car, if you ever get the chance, you better preach good. But eventually I did grow up and I left home. I left my mother's influence. But Jesus, you want to talk about a relationship? What? What a relationship that is. What a relationship I have with him. Two and o'clock in the morning, night after night, discussing a sermon. 
I tell him, help me. Help me understand what you were trying to say. And he helps me and he opens my mind. 35 years ago, he helped me find this old abandoned church. And then when we had people was getting full, upstairs was a nursery, a little room with 17 children in it. So he gave us the house across the driveway. When we started Old Fashioned Day, we didn't have property across the road. He gave us the land across the road. Now we have a village that attracts attention all over. And then, right out of the blue, he gave us four more acres across the road. And the next spring after that, the government closed our doors and we had our first parking lot church on Easter Sunday. (laughs) He's so good to me. He's so generous. He's so wise. He's so full of good advice. My friends, I love my mom, but there's nobody who's been as good to me as Jesus has. As good to me as Jesus. He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. My friends, that's what Jesus means when he says, if you have to hate your family, do it. He's the best family you'll ever have. He's a father to us. He's the older brother to us. He's the lover of my soul. He died for me. Nobody else ever loved me that much. Now to verse 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. In life, the reality is we have some hardships, don't we? We have trials. Sickness may come. Relationships of ours may become strained. You may be poor, short on money. Your work may be a burden to you that's heavy to bear. Jesus picked up his cross and carried it to Calvary and he suffered and died for you and me and he never complained. The old Negro spiritual says it so wonderfully. They crucified my Lord but he never said a mumbling word. Not a word. Not a word. Not a word. He never complained. He just picked up his cross and died. You got a hardship in life, you got a trial, you got a burden to bear. Jesus says, Don't complain. Come on, pick it up and follow me. And so, my friends, to this crowd that was looking for excitement and a free lunch. Something for themselves, Jesus says, if you really want to be a true disciple of Jesus, think about it. Count the cost. Whatever it takes, build that tower tall and strong. Let people see you mean business. Don't be building half a tower. And surrender to Jesus. 
If you have a burden, pick it up and don't complain. Make a determination. Jesus first. Anything tries to hold you back, say, no, sorry, I'm in this for the long run. People look at my life, I want them to see a person who is fully surrendered. No obstacles will stand in my way. No trial will hold me back. I'm a true follower of Jesus. That's what I want. So let's close it. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. We're supposed to be like salt. Now salt was useful to the people Jesus was talking to. They used it a lot in his day. You could use salt back then for a weed killer. Or you could preserve meat with it. It had a bite in it, a nice bite like salt does, a good taste. That meant it was very useful to you. But if it gets wet and it lost its bite, and the zip of it went out, then it wouldn't kill weeds anymore. It couldn't preserve meat anymore. It was useless. And Jesus said you can't even throw it on the manure pile and get any good out of it. My friends, good salt is useful. Are you good salt in God's hands? Are you useful to him? Is your tower well built? Can God use you? Oh, that us followers of Jesus would be useful in his hands, faithful and true and useful to God. So happy Mother's Day. And mom, if you're listening, I did the best I could. May God bless you as you choose to follow him. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we really want to be true followers. We want to do what you want us to do. So help us, Lord. Help us to count what it costs and grab a hold and do what we got to do. Build our towers. Trust in you. Make us what we ought to be on this day. We thank you for a mom who turned around and said, you better preach right. I thank you for that. And I thank you for everything you've given to us here in this church. It's so generous. We're overwhelmed with it. So we thank you. Help us to be useful to you. Bless us as we are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing like you turn in your hymn books to hymn number 216. Standing as we sing hymn number 216, I Surrender All.
Closing, standing as we sing 216, I surrender all. Page 
forward, we'd know that we're all in. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, that we are going to step all in with a relationship with you. And we're in it to the end. And if things get hard and they get difficult, we're going to just come closer to you. We're not going to fade away because we didn't count the cost. We pray that we would build that tower in our life, be an example, take up those burdens that we know we have in this life, draw others to you, show others that this can be done. Show others what it is to love the Savior of the world. We pray that we would have that in our hearts and be strong. Stand up, Lord. Help us to turn away from all the things in this world, no matter what, so we can live and have that strength in our life. We pray for help and guidance for all these folks in this place. Bring them back here. Help us to have hearts that worship all week long. Bring us back to this place and fill us with you, we pray. In your name.